few things I'd like to say about our passage here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And uh, those few things are four main points. These four main points, Paul wanted to encourage the church of Corinth to present the gospel to others so that they could come and know Christ as their Savior. Paul wanted to motivate, stir, inspire, encourage, and prick, prod, and probe these believers in this church to be in the work of the gospel. And Paul shared his testimony. And these people need to be involved in their work of sharing the gospel. So these four points that Paul wanted to communicate are four inspirational, motivational points. The first point is verses 1 through 9, and that is, we have an assurance of resurrection. So Paul said, hey, look, you have, you have a resurrected body coming. Yes, we all groan. Yes, we all are carrying the burden. But you have a resurrected body coming. The second point is there is a judgment coming for all the believers. Verse 10. And so this judgment is a reason to go and present the gospel to the world because we're all going to stand before a judgment. And so this judgment we should prepare for. You know, if you're going to go to court and you're going to go stand before a judge, you know, they would be sending you some papers. Hey, you're due at court. And this is the reason why. And you would say, man, I got it. I got to get some uh, representation. You know, some people say, what's this? You know, I'm not going to court. First time people go to court is like, what's that? I'm not going to court. You can't take me to court. Then they find out the long arm of the law drags them in the court. And, uh, but the wise person will say, hey, you know what? I'm going to court. I'm going to go get a lawyer. I'm going to get a representation. Yeah, that's going to cost me some money, but it's probably going to save me money in the long run. So I could get, you know, you know, owe some like $10,000, but if I spend $2,000 on a good lawyer and I only have to spend $5,000 instead of 10, you know, I save myself three. So, you know, a wise person will go get representation. You know, we're all going to court. You want to get representation. You want to have wisdom in preparation for that court hearing. So the third point, and we'll come back and exposit these three points as best we can with our time, is Paul wanted to give the gospel because knowing the terror of the Lord, verse 11. And this is one of the most unspoken about verses in the scripture today because I believe there's a spirit in our church culture that stays away from negative communication, negative truth. We want positive truth, positive things. 
We want our bank account filled. We want a pleasant experience at church. You know, so many churches are having flashing lights, smoke coming up, you know, big screens. Why? Because we want a positive, pleasant experience. But to be holistic in the truth of the Word of God means that there is negative truth that we need to embrace. Because negative truth will keep us a balanced Christian. And more than that, it's how God wants us to be. So in chapter 5, verse 11, Paul says, knowing, interesting word, knowing, and if you have time, you can take time to look up what the full definition of that word knowing means. But knowing, not only factual knowing, but a deeper understanding relationship, experiential knowing. Therefore, the terror of the Lord. So God is an awesome God. The word terror means awesome. You know, and we like to say awesome because, you know, Michael W. Smith wrote that song, you know, back in 1981, you know, our God is an awesome God. You know, and we like to sing that song. And that's a fun song. I love that song. That song carried me for like 10 years. And, uh, but awesome isn't like, you know, is this happy. Awesome is like the... Sovereign power of God can rain down on the world and on an individual. That's a very frightening thing. And more than that, the word uh, terror means there is a place of great destruction and hell waiting for the, those that have not trusted Christ as their Savior. And so hell is part of that terror, but terror means the awesome sovereignty control over every person in the world. So this is an interesting verse. Paul says, I want to know about that. And then the fourth point that Paul wants to encourage the believers at the Church of Corinth to share the gospel is verses 14 to 21 the love of Christ constraineth us. Verse 14. For the love of Christ constraineth us. So, the power of the love of God. So there's two attributes that we're really thinking about, about God here. The first attribute is the awesome, sovereign terror of God. You know, and that's only to be expected from the attribute of holiness and justice. The, so an attribute is, is an immutable characteristic of God, an immutable, non-changing characteristic of God. God cannot change this characteristic of his being. And what is that? The terror of the Lord, the holiness of God, the justice of God. God has to fulfill the terror of the Lord. But then there's another immutable, unchanging characteristic of God, and that's the love of God. And so if we receive the salvation that God has provided to man, then the love of God is the motivational reason why people want to take the gospel out and people want to receive the Lord as their Savior. And so we need to communicate the love of God. 
That's very important. A message without the love of God is an imbalanced uh, message of uh, an unbalanced message of salvation. So some people take the pendulum of the gospel and swing it all the way to the left and say, we need to preach the love of God. This is how you see people get saved. And then some people take the theology of the word of God and the pendulum of the gospel and swing it all the way to the right and say, this message of the terror of the Lord is the reason why people need to get saved. So we have two different messages and, they're, and, and we've been at odds with each other throughout the last, I guess, 100 years in how we communicate the gospel. And that's one of the reasons why Billy Graham is one of my personal heroes is because he always brought a balanced message of the love of God and also the holiness of God. And that's our message that we need to do, and that's the reason why we have the scripture to teach us how to, the motivation of, to give the gospel. A message of just the love of God without acknowledging our sin is not right. And so we, we have to have both. And so there are four points. Assurance of resurrection, judgment seat of Christ, knowing the terror of the Lord, the love of Christ. These are four motivational reasons to take the gospel to the world and to your friends. And so how about you today? So let's think about real quick verses 1 through 9. So verses 1 through 9, the bottom line is in verse 6, verse six therefore we are always confident knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. And then I love verse 7, for we walk by faith, not by sight. So this journey that we are all on has a higher plane than just the temporal around us. We see the temporal around us and we do our best to do that at our ability. But there's a higher plane and that's something we can't see. That's faith. I always say the definition of faith is trusting in the unseen. Some people would like to get a more sophisticated, technical answer of faith. You know, it's trust in the unseen. So, an illustration of faith is we, some people say if I can't see it and I can't put it on any microscope, if it's not empirical evidence, I can't believe it. And we have a big message of that going on in our culture today. Science is truth. We see signs and people say, science is truth. What are they saying? They're saying, if I can see it, I'll believe it. That's what they're saying. They're really saying science, the statement science is truth, is really saying that things we can't see, quote, God, is not truth. But they're indirectly saying that. And so if someone has a message of, I believe that God's going to take care of me, and someone says, I have a message, science is truth. They're putting down the person who says, I believe by faith. And so in our culture today, people will put down the person who says, I believe by faith. I'm all about science, okay? I have a bachelor's 
of science and religion. And the Bible is, the study of the Bible is a science. It is a proven science. I believe in science. People have mocked Christianity and have said science isn't real, uh, that, that Christianity isn't real. You know, there's so much empirical evidence of historical documentation that Jesus Christ rose again from the grave. Christianity has to be real according to science. Archaeology is a science, is it not? The word archaeology, ology means study, and archaeology, uh, rocks and, and understanding of documentation of historical evidence. The study of that, that's a science. That archaeology has proven Christianity to be true. Oh, well, that, that can't be. That's not the science we're talking about. We're talking about the science and putting it in a microscope. Okay, everybody has a different science that they want to bring up. Well, you know what? Science. What is science? Empirical evidence of proving truth. That's really what science is. And you can have empirical evidence of proving truth of the Word of God. Why? Because Jesus Christ rose again from the grave and that's historically proven. And, you know, we have documentation by law, Christ rose again from the grave. If that is true, scientifically, then we walk by faith, not by sight. We believe in the unseen. Do you see the wind? You don't see the wind, but you believe in the wind. You see, you see the evidence of the wind. You feel the wind, but you can't see the wind. But we believe in the wind. Christianity is very similar. We may not see God, but we believe that God and Jesus Christ is real and here. We can see the evidence of God. What's the evidence? The creation all around us. You say, well, I believe in evolutional theory. Well, I like to say that evolution is a theory. And the definition of the word theory means an hypothesis that has not been proven scientifically. It's a theory. They have a missing link. What's the missing link? From the amoeba to man. It's an idea. It's a theory. Do animals and amoebas change? Yeah, microevolutional change is true. A tadpole comes and turns into a frog. That's a change. That's a natural change. That's a microevolutional change. I believe in evolution. But from an amoeba to an ape to man, that hasn't been proven scientifically. And so we, we fall for the fake idea of what all this stuff is all about. Well, have you noticed the creation, how beautiful it is? We have a beautiful world. And that's been created by a, a master creator. And they say, well, evolution created that. Well, really? The odds of an explosion creating all of this creation we have is so infantile, huge. You know, we can never really understand the odds of how it got created. It's kind of like saying, I got a smashed up watch, all in little pieces. I got my citizen's watch here, Jim. 
I bought that from you guys. And smash it all up. Take a hammer, smash it all up. Throw it out my third floor window. And when the falls on the ground, it turns into a beautiful Rolex. That's the same odds of what evolution is. Or if you take a whole bunch of car parts from the junkyard and throw them in outside the house and throw them off the top of your house and onto the ground, when they fall together, it turns into a beautiful, uh, you know, Rolls Royce. You got better chance of odds of that happening than the odds are of evolution creating the, this world that we live in. Well, that was just point one. And so someday I'll come back and finish point two, three, and four. Now, you're going to have to have me come back right away, okay? Because, you know, keep this fresh. But, you know, I, I like to have a conclusion here. That the Lord wants us to be ambassadors of Christ, ambassadors of peacemakers, reconciling others with God. I mean, that's the bottom line. And what is our message? Verse 20, now then, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. So there are some in the church that aren't reconciled to God. Verse 21, for he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. So Jesus Christ became the embodiment of taking our sin on the cross, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him because Christ took our sin on the cross. We are now made righteous before God. And so the Adamic nature, which is in my body, fights me daily. But God looks on the believer by who believes in God by faith of saying, we are made righteous, and that's blameless before God. I'm not perfect. I'm just forgiven. And you're not perfect, but you're forgiven. God looks at you as blameless. Blameless. That's who you are, blameless. And so we need to take our hearts before God and say, God, how can I encourage others? to trust in the Lord as their Savior because you've saved me from hell and I want to tell others about it.